The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. From my house arrest to yours, April, April 17th, 2020, May, May 23rd, 2022, who knows, who cares, I once lived in a world where you couldn't discriminate on grounds of race, sexual orientation, gender identity, proclivities towards self-detonation, categories I'd never even heard of, like intersexual, and then one day... I woke up and found they divided us all into essential and non-essential. And I don't want to be put down because I'm non-essentially oriented. I'm begging you. Please release me. Let me go. I can't stand it anymore To live inside just really sucks Release me and keep your lousy 1200 bucks getting to me. It's getting to me. Just a couple of weeks ago, the Small Business Administration devised an innovative lockdown mitigation measure uh, called the Payroll Protection Program. It spent a third of a trillion dollars and has now run out of money and is telling people who apply for the Payroll Protection Program, small businesses, uh, to forget it. No point going on there anymore. Because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell are deadlocked about the terms for another quarter billion, which would last maybe two, three weeks. And anyway, Congress is in recess, uh, so there's no way of passing anything. So we have a nanny state where nanny's gone to the country for a month. North of the border, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation ran this story. Quote, the pandemic seems to be giving Canadians warm feelings about government. Can it last? The bureaucracy may be turning around its reputation for inefficiency and waste, at least in the short term. Unquote. This is by a a fellow called Aaron Wary, who was a colleague of mine. (laughs) There should be quote marks around that, too. At McLean's. Are, Are you kidding me? In Canada, the government offices where you go to apply for some gift from your big government sugar mummy or for something you're actually entitled to, like your passport, are called uh, Service Canada or Service Canada, if you're francophone. Right now, they're all closed. They're closed because the bureaucrats were walking off the job because they didn't want to get the COVID from the smelly, diseased peasants they have to distribute uh, the government largesse to. Uh, So they decided, rather than for it just to be embarrassingly uh, non-service Service Canada, they decided it was better to just close the things down for the duration. During this pandemic, 
Canada has done almost everything wrong, with the sole exception of putting its mammy singer prime minister in a 14-day quarantine uh, that he managed to string out for 30 days. Now, uh, Dominique Leblanc, the president of the Privy Council in Canada, has said the government is thinking of introducing quote-unquote emergency legislation to punish those Canadians spreading misinformation about the crisis. No Canadians, no Canadians have spread more misinformation in the last two months than the government of Canada. They told us they were screening passengers landing at Canadian airports. That was a lie, a lie only exposed because freeborn peoples use their telephones to show the lack of screening and the joke supplemental question uh, that had been added to the uh, check-in touchscreen, a filthy disease-spreading touchscreen, one should note. Uh, they told us that you don't need masks because masks don't work, so what's the point? Which was a lie to cover that they'd shipped masks to China and didn't have enough for uh, their own hospitals, never mind anybody else. They told us that Canadians were not at risk from the coronavirus, yet restricted their own citizens' movements before stopping all those inbound flights from China. And just as the cherry on the corona cake, the mammy singer lied by omission and didn't tell you that he knew all about this Wuhan Institute of Virology because he, in fact, gave Canadian tax dollars to that joint. And we only know that because Sheila Gunn-Reed exposed it while the joke CBC News division leads its flagship evening news shows with limpid, pitiful, soft-focused tales of, ooh, Canadians making a difference as we all pull together, and the usual third-rate hack maple boosterism. Quick aside, in America, there's now talk of class-action multi-trillion dollar lawsuits against the Chicoms. OK, sure, suing is one thing Americans can do like nobody else. But good luck getting the Politburo to pay up. We know you're never going to get a dollar out of them. Uh, especially when the US government is now known to have funded the Wuhan lab long after it was assessed by its own State Department officials to not be observing the correct protocols. So why not do what... Uh, Gitmo jihadist Omar Khadr did. He's the guy who killed U.S. Sergeant First Class Christopher Speer in an act of, quote, murder in violation of the laws of war, i.e. a war crime. He's a war criminal. Khadr wouldn't have got anywhere suing the Yanks for his detention at Gitmo, so he went to court against Canada for, in essence, going along with it. And Justin wound up settling with the guy and giving him 10 million bucks for killing an American soldier. That is some bounty. Cada, Cada correctly identified the weak link in the liability chain. So why not a class action lawsuit against the government of Canada for funding the lab that loosed the killer virus? By so-called misinformation, Monsieur Leblanc, the Privy Council president, means anything di that diverges from the party line, as in the Chinese Communist Party line. Right now, if you're on Facebook and you suggest that this virus originated in that Wuhan lab, as multiple sources in Washington, London, Paris now support, the big social cartel will mark your post as non-credible and direct readers to a version of events more congenial to Beijing. Uh, Kathy Shadle made the point many years ago. 
that instead of launching news aggregators and sticking eagles in the masthead, they should have invented actually an alternative Facebook. Right now, conservatives have helped drive all human knowledge into a monopoly uh, of half a dozen woke billionaires who are more anxious to appease the big bucks they're getting out of China uh, than basic principles of uh, liberty and freedom of information. We are being asked to submit to rule by experts at a time when the experts have never been less expert. In January, February, Dr. Fauci was wrong about everything. So were a lot of people. Nothing wrong with that. As I said a few weeks ago, nobody knows nothing about this virus. So we're all winging it. The facts on the ground change and shift every day. Except that we're being told that if we don't bow before the infallible expertise of Fauci, we're the problem. In London, the equivalent to Fauci is a guy called Neil Ferguson of Imperial College, who came up with the models saying that two million people would die in the US and half a million in the UK. OK, the model was a bit off, could happen to anyone. But Ferguson does this every time. In 2005, he told The Guardian that, quote, around around 200 million people would die from bird flu. The actual number, total bird flu deaths worldwide between 2003 and 2009, was 282 people. This is the problem. There are, in fact, two people who should have rung the alarm bell. Chairman Xi in Beijing and the non-doctor Dr Tedros at the WHO in Geneva. Because they didn't ring the alarm bells, the alarm bells that uh, Tedros uh, is obliged to ring by virtue of his job description and Chairman Xi is obliged to ring by virtue of the international obligations uh, China has agreed to, because they didn't ring their alarm bells, we now live under a regime of permanent cacophony of alarm bells. Right now, in the Prime Minister's absence, the United Kingdom is being run by something called SAGE, the Scientific Advisory Group on Emergencies. That's a great acronym, isn't it? SAGE. They're SAGES. SAGES. They're, they're all knowing. Once upon a time, we used to be wary of scientists as the ultimate arbiter. There's a reason the, quote, mad scientist became a stock figure in our storytelling. Today, the demand that we prostrate ourselves before nonpartisan, dispassionate scientists when it comes to such things as freedom of speech and freedom of movement is, in fact, a demand we prostrate ourselves before state power wearing a lab coat. In Michigan, it's good to see that both citizens and sheriffs are pushing back against the governor's uh, suspension of such basic human rights. Elsewhere, alas? Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. From the land where everything is policed except crime, a video has been doing the rounds in recent days. Somewhere up north, to a judge by the accents, the neighbours 
reporter man for sounding like he's got a number of people at his pad. So four, four coppers come round. They knock on the door, but the guy doesn't open it, but that's maybe because he's got a large number of people in there and he can't hear the door knock over them. So they kick the door in, break the door, and inside there's just one man watching the telly and he's not happy about having his door kicked in and he's not happy about four potentially diseased wanker coppers, non-social distancing, no masks, no gloves, maybe they're super spreaders, who knows? And they're breathing all over his pad. If, in fact, it is a crime to have numerous persons in your abode, then it is the coppers who are now committing it. And the homeowner is not happy. Now, as you know, we don't do the swearing thing that all the cool internet wallers do, because swearing hasn't been cool for... Well over half a century since Brendan Behan and Peregrine Worsthorne blazed the trail on the BBC. Nevertheless, I was thinking of leaving this next bit of audio unbleaked, especially because some of the very English profanities are not even known as such in the United States. But then I thought, well, you know, I don't want to break our long-standing policy, so we have bleeped it, which doesn't leave a lot of other dialogue. But the fact that the bleep machine is working at full throttle gives you a sense of how this guy is unloading on them. And granted that the British police are generally unarmed, and so they can't just empty their firepower into him in the way they would in certain other jurisdictions, he is seriously outnumbered. And uh, those kind of coppers are not above teaching a member of the public a lesson. But I'm inclined to be forgiving of the blizzard of F-words and... Um, KN words, because it is necessary to demonstrate to these lunatics that they do not and cannot wield the powers they purport to have. Right. Listen to us. Well. We've had a call, haven't we? Because we had to come, but otherwise, right. there, there might be something going on here, so <laughs> right. we need to double check. I appreciate what, what you're you saying about social distancing, so I'm keeping yeah. the distance. Yeah, f Right, so we need to check the room to make sure that there's no other right. Stay away from me. What's your name? Don't matter. What are you doing in my house? What are you doing in my house? I just explained to What are you doing in my house? I've just explained to you why we're here. We've had a call that was a disturbance, that's why we're right. here. What, so you kicked me door in? Should you have opened the door? No. I've explained that to you. No, I told you why I wouldn't open the door is because of what is going around this virus right. now. F*** off right. and get out of here. One time size Look at you. You might have it. Don't. One time size everything's alright. Go away! Come on! Get in here, Go on, have a look. We're just checking. Have a look, Alright. Yeah, yeah. No going on in here, is there? So what you been putting me door through for then? You do one! You fing pathetic! Get out of here! Have you got any you absolute disgrace. Have you got all else to do? You've put my f***ing door through. Yeah, I hope you're gonna f***ing... What are you gonna f***ing do to that? Oh, shut your f***ing mouth, you f***ing brain dead. Get out. F***ing paid, what, 20 grand a year to be a f***ing f***ing f***. Get out. And my f***ing house. Get the f*** out. What are you? Bye. Bye! British f***ing police! You f***ing He basically swore them into retreat. Four coppers back down the corridor and out 
because he decided to take a profane stand on Sir Edward Bleeping Coke's famous doctrine that an Englishman's bleeping home is his bleeping castle. At their daily briefings, why have none of the convalescing Prime Minister's colleagues told the Keystone Corona cops to knock it off with the abuse of power? Until he got sick, Boris was doing his Churchill shtick, the old blitz spirit and all that. Well, if it's a war, maybe you could take it out on the enemy rather than your own citizenry. But that's because that's basically been the model both at 9-11 and in this thing. We're told, we're told that formerly free peoples can only leave their home for essential trips to buy essential goods. So be it. In that case, is there anyone in the United Kingdom more non-essential, doing more non-essential jobs than this surly female officer and her three gutless, cowardly male colleagues? I salute that guy because I don't want to live in the world these nutters are herding us into. Fight the quarantine blues with Mark Stein's newest tale for our time. What better way to escape from the global pandemic right outside your door than with a fantastic tale about the... The plague? Am I reading this right? Not sure whether this counts as escapist entertainment, but transport yourself back to a 1665 that looks a lot like 2020, complete with quarantines and social distancing. Tune into SteinOnline.com nightly for the newest episode of Mark Stein's reading of Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year. Tales for Our Time serializations are available exclusively to members of the Mark Stein Club. Listen to all 35 tales, including the present one, by going to steinonline.com T-F-O-T. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. Two centuries ago, April 16th, 1820. Charlotte Anne Philibrown was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. At school, she developed an enthusiasm for writing, and one day her class was visited by Daniel Webster and Henry Clay, and the teacher read out various of his pupils' compositions. After young Charlotte's, Messrs. Webster and Clay asked the schoolmaster to point out which student had written it, and professed their admiration for her writing. I wish you were a boy, said Henry Clay. I would make a statesman of you. In 1843, she married J.W. Gerold. Two years later, she gave birth to a child. Three days after delivery, Charlotte Gerold's mind began wandering and her utterances became incomprehensible. She descended into madness and died on August the 2nd, 1845, a day after the death of her five-day-old baby. Mother and child were buried in the same casket. Charlotte was 25. She left behind a small collection of poems uh, that are still around. You can buy them at Amazon. Uh, this is a sentimental one of which I am fond and which seems right for a world shut down. The other day I looked at the video of our Christmas show, which I hope many of you will have seen. Uh, nothing spectacular, or so we thought at the time. An audience, a band, me, plus singers and actors and comedians, cameramen and sound engineers, hairstylists and makeup artists. I don't know when such a day will come again. France has banned all such live 
musical events until the end of July. California is proposing none till fall. Los Angeles, uh, no such events until 2021. When will we sing together again? By Charlotte A. Gerald, A Song for the Past. A song for the past when our hearts were young and the world looked bright and fair when we bounded along with jocund song and knew not the weight of care. Then our hearts were light and our eyes were bright and merrily passed each day with the sportive glance and the joyous dance and the merry roundelay. A song for the past, for the good old days, when our spirits were blithe and free, when the birds sang gay in the early May and we reveled in childhood's glee. Then the madcap race and the butterfly chase gave our cheeks a ruddy glow, and exercise gave light to the eyes and throned fair health on the brow. A song for the past, for the golden days, whose memories make us yearn to behold again, though we know it vain, the scenes which can ne'er return. Farewell to my theme, like a morning dream, the past has vanished away. But the present lies bright before our sight. Enjoy it then, while we may. A poem from me to you. A Song for the Past by Charlotte A. Gerald upon the occasion of her bicentennial. The past has vanished away, and we should enjoy the present while we may, for who knows what lies ahead. Mark's mailbox is on the air. This missive came through about... Uh, 10 days ago, but I didn't want to use it lest we be tempting fate. And obviously, as I've said, I have had my differences with Boris Johnson, his uh, stinginess of choice of restaurants when he purports to want to take you to lunch or on another occasion when the dining establishment was far more luxurious, but you began to understand that the main reason for that was his desire to get his leg over the lady dining with us and use a vital business dinner with me as a cover for that. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Well, all that notwithstanding, I didn't want Boris actually to die, so I thought we ought to wait until he was out of hospital to explore the interesting point raised by this... Uh, somewhat macabre letter. Alman from CA, which I believe is California, not uh, the Dominion of Canada, writes, uh, Hi Mark, we sure hope Boris pulls through. If he doesn't make it, what is the procedure for getting a new leader in place? Will the Brits have to go back to their pre-Boris election craziness again? Well, there's not a lot of precedent for this, uh, Al. No British Prime Minister has died in office since 1812. And even then, he didn't actually die in his office. Uh, Spencer Percival died in the lobby of the House of Commons when a man called John Bellingham shot him in the chest. Mr Bellingham was upset because he'd been unjustly imprisoned by the Russians and his own government refused to compensate him for it. Perhaps that's why Justin gave 10 million bucks to Omar Khadr. He didn't want young Omar going full John Bellingham on him. Uh, Bellingham shot Spencer Percival on May the 11th and they hanged him on May the 18th, which is the sort of swift justice I pine for when I'm at the District of Columbia Superior Court. That was the easy bit, hanging the perp. 
After Mr. Percival's assassination, the Prince Regent asked four different chaps to form a government, and all four failed, and it was a month later before his fifth choice, the Earl of Liverpool, was able actually to form a ministry with Lord Castlereagh as his representative in the Commons. Uh, The reason why one Lord is in the House of Lords and the other Lord is in the House of Commons is uh, because one is an English Lord and the other an Irish Lord, which I could explain but would make your eyes bleed. And uh, and in addition, uh, Castlereagh was Viscount Castlereagh, which uh, is a courtesy title of the Marquess of Londonderry. Anyway, so your eyes probably are bleeding by now. Anyway, the Commons voted down the new government, but you get the gist. In the Westminster system, uh, upon a vacancy of Prime Minister, the Queen appoints a person who can command a majority in the lower house. That's it. There is no order of succession. Sometimes in Britain, Canada, other Commonwealth countries, there is someone called a deputy prime minister which is a constitutionally dubious office and anyway boris upon arrival in downing street chose not to appoint one in australia the so-called deputy pm is a more consistently recurring figure Uh, but as in the present government uh, mr morrison's deputy pm is in fact uh, his junior coalition partner the leader of the country party As it happens, (laughs) another consistently recurring feature of Australia is that unlike the mother country, quite a few OzPMs die in office. And when Harold Holt went for a swim off the beach in 1967 and never swam back in, his deputy, the then country party leader, Sir John McEwen, was sworn in as acting PM basically for the Christmas holiday and until just after Twelfth Night. Uh, As that's the nearest to a precedent, I assume that's what would have happened here. Um, Even though, obviously, in the case of Sir John, there was no question of him being the leader of the junior party in the government, that he would have been the permanent PM. And nevertheless, having been endowed by Boris with the slightly weird title to me of quote, first Secretary of State, i.e. senior to the others, Dominic Raab would have been sworn in as caretaker by the Queen while the Tories set about deciding how to replace Boris as leader. But all the above is uh, somewhat moot because, as we mentioned, uh, SAGE, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, is basically running the show in London. And as Al Mann noted... In the wings are the usual Ramonas arguing that what with Boris incapacitated, the UK needs to extend a year or three or seven or 12 the deadline for negotiating a trade agreement with the EU. So I think you are right to that extent that if this had gone badly for my old chum, then I think there are persons who would have used it to open up the Brexit madness all over again. And that is one more reason to be thankful for Boris Johnson's delivery from the coronavirus. Mark Stein's Last Call. Lee Konitz played the alto saxophone, and he played it so well that Stan Kenton, Charles Mingus, Dave Brubeck, Claude Thornhill, Miles Davis were more than happy to play with him. But he didn't like the idea of being formally acclaimed as a 
jazz master. Of course, you've been designated an NEA jazz master in the last couple of years. I contested that, you know. You contested it? I said, uh, I, I really don't uh, feel like I qualify as a jazz master. But I looked up the word master, and then I got uh, noteworthy. And I accept that as, uh, instead of being a master, I'm noteworthy, worthy of the, the notes. with his take on one of the first songs I ever learned at the piano, Stairway to the Stars. Which seems not inappropriate for what COVID-19 hath wrought. I especially uh, like the middle section here, which I used to play in a rather melodramatic and martial manner. Lee Konitz found something more elegiac and bittersweet in those notes, and that too seems more appropriate. of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 92, alto saxophonist Lee Konitz. If you are an English footy fan, you know what the word Hillsborough means. 31 years ago this week, April 15th, 1989, at the FA Cup semi-final between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest at the Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield, just as the game started, there was a sudden crush in the stand at the Leppings Lane end. Just a couple of minutes into the game, it became clear something was wrong behind the Liverpool goal. It seems initially police thought it was a pitch invasion. But soon people were collapsing on both sides of the fence. At six minutes past three, police ordered the players off the pitch. But it still seemed they hadn't grasped the scale of the tragedy unfolding before their eyes. By then, people had already died or were dying. At the back and front of the pen, supporters were trampled in the desperation. Others tried to get out however they could. Then, at 16 minutes past three, the first ambulance arrived pitch side. But that was already too late for 96 fans. Hillsborough was the worst disaster in British sporting history and led to the elimination of standing terraces 
and the introduction of all-seater stadiums. The police put it about that it was the drunkenness and hooliganism of the Liverpool fans that had led to the crush. Lord Justice Taylor, in his investigation, found differently, ruling that policing of the event, quote, broke down and declaring that the 65 police witnesses were, quote, evasive and, quote, the quality of their evidence was in inverse proportion to their rank. If you're wondering which particular constabulary this was, well, it was... Yes, the South Yorkshire Police, the same bent coppers who turned a blind eye to mass child gang rape by connected Muslims whom the police protected. The same police force whose priority, as we heard the other day, is to send constables round to forbid a father and child from playing in their own front garden. The day after the Hillsborough carnage, the newspapers and TV stations ran a particularly poignant image. A man slumped at the foot of the Leppings Lane stand with his head in his hands, weeping into his Liverpool scarf. His name was Dave Rowland, and a few minutes earlier he had tried and failed to save the life of a fellow fan, Henry Rogers, 17 years old. Dave remained a Liverpool supporter, and every April 15th he remembered the fans no longer there. On this 31st anniversary, he joined their number. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 65, Dave Rowland. The theme tune to the quiz show Jeopardy must surely be one of the best-known pieces of music there is. All together now. Är det sant? Ja, det är det. Här är Jeopardy. Och här är våra tävlande. Först är det studerande Alberto Robinson från Gävle. Oh, wait. That's the music for Swedish Jeopardy. And if you watch the show in Stockholm or Malmo or Gothenburg, you'll know the face of its sometime host or program leadery, uh, Adam Olsing, a constant presence on Swedish TV and radio these last three decades since his breakthrough show Twist and Shout. He hosted the dating show Tur i Kurlik and the smash hit Swedish version of Big Brother, and then his own talk show, Hashtag Adam Live. It was namely so that Daniel Breitholz had as a New Year's to spark up to a door cam. And he trained for it three and a half, almost four weeks. And now it's up to evidence. We call this for To the Door Cam and Beyond. Yeah. To the Dorkam and beyond. Dorkam means door frame, uh, so that would be to the door frame and beyond. A regular feature on hashtag Adam Live. He is beyond the door frame now. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 51, Adam Olsing. David Cohen landed in Europe a month after D-Day. I was 24 
And then we landed D-36, the whole division. And uh, it opens up in the front. And then we got off, we got wet, of course. We rode on the beach. And it was, you know, scary as hell. You know, you don't know where you were at. And that first night, I'll never forget, I was scared stiff. He went on to liberate Ordruff Concentration Camp, which is pretty much smack dab in the very center of Germany. I was a radio operator, a radio operator, class 23. We got a, a message that uh, it was an unpleasant place, but we didn't know what it was. And we walked in and we saw bodies laying around and the smell. That's what I remember. The worst thing was the smell of dead bodies. And we went into a room where there were bodies, I don't know how many, just caught, packed up like cords of wood. And there were men, women, and children even. You could see the heads. It's a, something you never forget. I took up pictures and other guys took it and we exchanged uh, negatives. The photographs David Cohen took that day are now in various museums and foundations and universities all over America. Mr. Cohen and his wife Muriel lived long and retired to Massachusetts and to a room in a nursing home in Longmeadow. Then came COVID-19. My mother was tested positive and my father was tested negative. There was no question of separating them. They had never been separated in 78 years almost of married life. David was 102 and Muriel was just shy of her 98th birthday. David died at 6.50 p.m. Muriel just one hour and 40 minutes later. My parents are together. My parents are at peace. David and Muriel Cohen on that stairway to the stars. They would have danced to that song when it was new, when Glenn Miller's band played, and for Americans, a terrible war was still far away. I'll be back uh, this evening for the latest episode of our extra-timely tale for our time, Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, Advice for 2020 from 1665. And we'll have more audio delights over the weekend with a special all-request edition of our Song of the Week. That's late Sunday afternoon, uh, North American Eastern Time. If you're a Mark Stein Club member and you'd like me to play a favourite song, maybe even Stairway to the Stars, leave it in the comments section. And who knows, it may make the cut. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. Stein Show is a production of Markstein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
All rights reserved.